All right, Maxwell, whenever you are ready. All right. A reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapters 30 through 31. Conditions for restoration and blessing. I have now given you a choice between a blessing and a curse. When all these things happen, have happened to you, and you are living among the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you, you will remember the choice I gave you. If you and your descendants will turn back to the Lord and with all your heart obey his commands that I am giving you today, then the Lord will, your God will have mercy on you. He will bring you back from the nations where he has scattered you, and he will make you prosperous again. Even if you are scattered to the farthest corners of the earth, the Lord will, your God will gather you together and bring you back so that you may get, again take possession of the land where your ancestors once lived. And he will make you more prosperous and more numerous than your ancestors ever were. The Lord your God will give you and your descendants obedient hearts so that you will love him with all your heart and you will continue to live in the, that land. You will turn all these curses against your enemies who hated you and oppressed, oppressed you, and you will again obey him and keep all of his commands I am giving you today. The Lord will make you prosperous in all that you do. You will have many children and a lot of livestock, and your fields will produce abundant crops. He will be as glad to make you prosperous as he was to make your ancestors prosperous but you will have to obey him and keep all of his laws that, you are, that are written in this book of his teachings. You will have to turn to him with all your heart. The command I am giving you today is not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not up in the sky. You do not have to ask who will go up and bring it down for us so that we can hear it and obey it. Nor is it on the other side of the ocean. You do not have to ask who will go across the ocean and bring it to us, so that we may hear it and obey it? No, it is here with you. You know it, and you can quote it. So now obey it. Today, I am giving you a choice between good and evil, between life and death. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I give you today, if you love him, obey him, and keep all of his laws, then you will prosper and become a nation of many people. Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are about to occupy. But if you disobey and refuse to listen, and are led away to worship other gods, you will be destroyed. I warn you here and now. You will not live long in that land across the Jordan that you are about to occupy. I am now giving you the choice between life and death, between God's blessing and God's curse, and I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Choose life. Love the Lord your God. Obey him and be faithful to him. And then you and your descendants will live long in the land that he has promised to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua becomes Moses' successor. Moses continued speaking to the people of Israel and said, I am now 120 years old and am no longer able to be your leader. And besides this, the Lord has told me that I will not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go before you and destroy the nations living there, so that you can occupy their land. And Joshua will be your leader, as the Lord has said. The Lord will destroy those people, just as he def defeated Sihon and Og, kings of the Amorites, and destroyed their country. 
the Lord will give you victory over them, and you are to retreat them exactly as I have told you. Be determined and confident. Do not be afraid of them. Your God, the Lord himself, will be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. And Moses called Joshua and said to him in the presence of all the people of Israel, Be determined and confident. You are the one who will lead these people to occupy the land that the Lord promised to their ancestors. And the Lord, the Lord himself will lead you and be with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. So do not lose courage or be afraid. The law is to be read every seven years. So Moses wrote down God's law and gave it to the Levitical priests who were in the charge of the Lord's covenant box and to the leaders of Israel. He commanded them at the end of every seven years, when the year that debts are canceled comes around, read this aloud at the festival of shelters. Read it to the people of Israel when they come to worship the Lord your God at the one place of worship. Call together all the men, women, and children, and the foreigners who live in your towns, so that everyone may hear it and listen and learn to honor the Lord your God and to obey his teachings faithfully. In this way, your descendants who have never heard the law of the Lord your God will hear it, and so they will learn to obey him as long as they live in the land that you are about to occupy across the Jordan. The Lord's Last Instructions to Moses Then the Lord said to Moses, You do not have much longer to live. Call Joshua and bring him to the tent, that I may give him his instructions. Moses and Joshua went to the tent, and the Lord appeared to them there in a pillar of cloud that stood by the door of the tent. The Lord said, You will soon die, and after your death the people will become unfaithful to me and break the covenant that I have made with them. They will abandon me and worship the pagan gods of the land that they are about to enter. When that happens, I will become angry with them. I will abandon them, and they will be destroyed. Many terrible disasters will come upon them. And then they will realize that these things are happening to them because I, their God, am no longer with them. I will refuse to help them then because they have done evil and worshipped other gods. Now, write down this song. Teach it to the people of Israel so that it will stand as evidence against them. I will take them into this rich and fertile land as I promised their ancestors. There they will have all the food they want. They will live comfortably, but they will turn away and worship other gods. They will reject me and break my covenant, and many terrible disasters will come on them. But this song will still be sung, and it will stand as evidence against them. Even now, before I take them into the land I promised to give them, I know what they are thinking. That same day, Moses wrote down the song and taught it to the people of Israel. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him, Be confident and determined. You will lead the people of Israel into the land that I have promised them, and I will be with you. Moses wrote God's law in a book, taking care not to leave out anything. When he finished, he said to the Levitical priests, who were in charge of the Lord's covenant box, Take this book of God's law and place it beside the covenant box of the Lord your God, so that it will remain there as a witness against his people. I know how stubborn and rebellious they are. They have rebelled against the Lord during my lifetime. They will rebel even more after I am dead. 
assemble all your tribal leaders and officials before me, so that I can tell them these things. I will call heaven and earth to be my witnesses against them. I know that after my death, the people will become wicked and reject what I have taught them. And in time to come, they will meet with disaster, because they will have made the Lord angry by doing what he has forbidden. Awesome. So, here we have the continuation of Moses' third sort of homily. Okay, and so what happens in these chapters? Well, essentially, you have the reaffirmation of Joshua as his rightful successor. Okay, and he will be the, the quote, bearer of Moses' mantle of authority. So you'll see later on in the Gospels, Jesus um, tells the people, follow what the Pharisees teach, right? Because they sit in the seat of Moses. Don't do what they do, okay? Because they weren't doing, they weren't practicing what they preached, essentially. And so, this idea of a seat of authority, right? When we think of the chair of Peter, right? The seat of Moses, it's the exact same thing. It's a symbol of authority. And so, like the Israelites who had the seat of Moses, we have the seat of Peter, the seat of papal authority. And so, you see that very clearly here with Joshua. He's bearing the said mantle. He's going to follow up in what Moses left off, right? And so you see a lot of important things can be drawn out of this. Well, one, God never leaves his people without a sort of vicar, without a, a leader, right? And so, you know, Christ is the new Moses. And in a sense, Joshua can be seen not as a fulfillment, but as a sort of type of Peter, who thus takes people into the promised land. As Peter on the first, on his first speech of Pentecost, right? Following Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 converts 3,000 people. It says 3,000 souls were added into them, right? And so, does Joshua do but lead the Israelites into the promised land? Um, bring about their sort of salvation, in a sense. And so, you have these sort of parallels there. Of course, uh, Christ himself is also the fulfillment of Joshua as well. But you can see ideas like this very present. And if you continue, and we mentioned this before, just look at the past of what we've read from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? Up until now, God's people have had a leader. The importance of all that is that even though he is God, he is true king, he still gives them a king, as we'll see later on. You have um, David, King David's given to him, right? And so now there are Lord in the new covenant. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What does he do? He is the, who is the true rock, right? Well, he says, Peter, you are rocking on this rock. I'll build my church, right? And so he leaves us with a leader, with a seat of authority that can be passed on, just as it was from the time of Moses up until the time of Christ. So that's one thing just to highlight. Another thing was the second, uh, or the start of the book of the law, writ which is the written form of the Deuteronomic Covenant. And it was to be placed beside the Ark, it was to be read every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles, so the Feast of Booths. And that kind of just fulfills, or finishes off what we've read thus far. Um, are there any questions about anything we've covered? If not, Jimena, feel free whenever you're ready.
further wise sayings of Solomon. These are other proverbs of Solomon that the officials of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out, like the heavens for height, like the dearth, like the earth for death. So the mind of the kings is unsearchable. Take away the draws from the silver, and the and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in the righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of your of the great for it is better to be told come up here than to be put lowered in the presence of of a noble what your eyes have seen does not hastily bring into the court for what is you will for what you will do in the end when your neighbor puts you in shame, argue your case with your neighbors direct with your neighbor directly, and do not disclose another secret, other another secret, or else someone who hears you will bring shame upon you, and you will repute will and our repute and your ill repute with will have no end. A word filthy spoken is like apples of gold, and sitting in silver. Like a gold ring of an ornament of gold, a wise rebuke in the to listening ear. Like a cold of snow in the time of harvest, are faithful messengers to those who send them. They refresh the spirit of their masters, like clouds in the, and wind without rain. Is one who boasts on the gift never given. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue can break bones. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, or else, having too much, you will vomit it. Let your foot be solemn in your neighbor's house, otherwise the neighbor will become wary of you and hate you. Like a war club, a sword or a sharp arrow is one who bears fault witnesses, false witness against a neighbor, like a bad tooth or or a lame foot. Is is trust in a faithless person in time of trouble, like vinegar on a wound. Is is one who sings songs to the heavy heart, like a month in clothing or a worm in wood. Sorrow. Gnaws at the human heart. If your enemies are hungry, give them bread to eat, and if they are thirsty, give them water to drink. For you will heap coals of fire on their heads, and the Lord will reward you. The north wind produces rain, and the backbiting tongue angry looks. It is better to live in a corner of a housetop than a house shared with a continuous, contentious wife. Like a cold water is a thirsty soul, so it's good news far from a far country. Like a mud, muddied, 
spring or a populated fountain? Are the righteous who live away who give away before the wicked? It is not good to eat much honey or to seek honor on top of, of honor. Like a city breached without walls is one who lacks self-control. Okay. So one thing I just want to um, backtrack real quick, real quick to um, Proverbs 24. Uh, was such an, a stress and an importance um, on understanding the absolute intolerance of laziness, which you know later tradition will come to identify as the deadly sin of sloth. And you'll see this idea continue to be scorned throughout this next section that we're in, known as the Proverbs of Solomon, um, part two. So we're going to have between chapters 25 and 26 of Proverbs. There'll be Proverbs um, dictated by Solomon, and written, as said here, by his servants, or the servants of Zechariah, king of Judah, who would have translated them. Um, that's a little historical context. This would have been between 715 and 686 BC. Um, it's really interesting stuff here. And as usual, um, what, what this is, these, these different, I don't know if you've noticed, I hope you have, is it's sort of going to be known, these are known as bicolas, where it's going to be these spiritual sort of truths said one verse is going to have these two lines and they can exist within of themselves typically um and have their own meaning to them um and so just uh getting just going to do one today random one here um was the one that any that stood out to any of you guys that maybe you'd want me to expound upon at all any of the verses there, Proverbs? Not, I'm just going to go with my favorite number. It's just so happy. I think the last one, 28, that's pretty good. But go ahead and do whatever you want. I'll do 28. Wow, that one's really hard. Okay. <laughs> A city breached and left defenseless are those who do not control their temper. So, if you just think about that, it's always good to see it from sort of a natural perspective at first, but don't go too far that way. Uh, so, what happens when somebody loses their temper? One, they often say things they instantly regret, especially if it's in the heat of an argument. Um, and they always want to backtrack. You know, they say it, and it's almost as if immediately they realize, I should not have said that. So what is the city breached, left defenseless? It's those who do not control their temper. Somebody who responds in such a way. Um, and so what, what, what does it mean to be defenseless? It's not like they're, they're the ones doing the attacking, right? How are they defenseless? Well, it's bad to be defenseless in that you show, you know, I don't know if you heard the saying, um, don't turn belly up. This is like rule of the wild. Is anyone or any animals ever fighting, they don't ever want to give up their belly because you slice the belly and like, that's it, the animal's done. And so typically they're going to want to protect their torso. And that should be like, it's just regular human life. If you're, if anyone comes at you, you're going to want to protect, you know, your face, your torso. And so 
in that sense, this proverb here, speaking of being defenseless, would be one who, you know, bellies up in a sense, in that in losing control of their temper, they're left defenseless to attacks from Satan. They're left defenseless from different, they're left defenseless from different attacks, different spiritual attacks. You know, St. Paul will later go on to expound upon an idea similar to this, where he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil a chance to work on you. What does that mean? Oh, you're defenseless, right? You lose your temper, you're just mad. Let's say in the morning, right? You wake up in the morning, your mom tells you something, and let's say you didn't even deserve to be told what your mom said. Maybe she, she truly was hurtful. Do not let the sun go down on your temper. Do not take that with you the rest of the day and potentially spoil the mood of someone else, ruin someone else's day. We spoke about this, I think, maybe last week. The importance of a smile, something as simple as a smile, that you change someone's life with a smile. There's countless stories. You can recount the stories about people who were suffering from depression, who saw no way out, and a smile is what truly saved them. An acknowledgement of them truly saved them. Just how much that can do, right? And so if you're impacted by something a parent says, or maybe you get into an argument, whether it be the, either in the morning or the night before, don't let that carry in to the rest of your life because you're left defenseless through spiritual attacks. See, that does happen. The rest of the day, you're going to cuss out people. You're going to be upset, right? You're going to be failing to show the love of Christ in your life as you should be. That's an issue. So somebody who loses their temper, who does not control their temper, is left defenseless to these attacks. And that's why St. Paul says, don't give the devil a chance to work on you. What does he mean? Don't lose your temper and be defenseless. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't mold over this anger. And this doesn't mean you can't get mad, right? You can be rightfully upset about somebody who's hurt you. Okay? The issue is dwelling on it, taking that with you. The problem. What does Jesus say for us to do? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies, right? Love not meaning, of course, a sort of emotional appeal, but an action. Let's say that person does hurt you. What is the proper response? Pray for them. And thank God. Say, Lord God. Thank you for this opportunity to be sanctified. Imagine that powerful prayer. Somebody just told you the most hurtful thing you can possibly imagine. And you thank God for the opportunity to grow in sanctification, to become a holier person by way of sort of, not sound cliche, but taking the high road in a sense. So powerful. How, how humble that is. It's prideful to, re to retaliate. Jesus didn't. All this, the whole way to the cross, if there was ever anyone who could rightfully plead innocence, it was Christ, but he did not. He accepted each and every single bruise to the face, tearing of his flesh, bit, you name it. He accepted all of it. So, a city breached left defenseless are those who do not control their temper. 
It's good. Emotions are good. You can be angry. Right? Jesus was angry in the temple. Rightfully so. It was righteous anger. You gotta find that balance. Living the life of a Christian is finding a balance. Right? So ultimately, do what Jesus says. Do what he did. Accept. Let God work. And he'll change all the bad into good. That's just how he works. Just look at the cross. One of the most grotesque things in all of history becomes the perfect symbol of love. Perfect symbol of love for each and every single one of us. What a blessing that is. If there are no questions, T, feel free to take it away. All right, Acts chapter 3. Cure of a crippled beggar. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple area for the three o'clock hour of prayer. And a man crippled from birth was carried and placed at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate every day to beg for alms from the people who were entered the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. But Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. He paid attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I do have to give you, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, rise and walk. Then Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles grew strong. He leaped up, stood, and walked around, and went into the temple with them, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the one who used to sit begging at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with amazement and astonishment at what happened to him. So we see here, right right off the bat, filled with the Holy Spirit, as we just read yesterday in Acts chapter 2, right? The apostles, they are performing these miracles of healing, right? Similar to those um, accomplished by Christ, right, during his earthly ministry, just as he had promised. So they're filled with this Holy Spirit as he promised. These works, uh, just as Christ predicted, they cause great... Um, they, they cause great um, some persecutions between the Jewish authorities, right? And we're going to see this as, as it uh, continue going through Acts. And we also see, right, uh, this ninth hour, this, this prayer time, um, 3 p.m., it's this time of the evening sacrifice. And so the apostles and the early Christians, they were still part of the Jewish community, as we also mentioned um, earlier. And so they attended the temple prayer at the same prescribed times. So that's why we see that there. Continuing forward, we have Peter's speech. As he clung to Peter and John, all the people hurried in amazement toward them in the portico called Solomon's Portico. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why are you amazed at this? 
Why do you look so intently at us if we had made him walk by our own power of piety? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence when he had decided to release him. You denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. The author of life you put to death but God raised him from the dead, of this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, this man, whom you see and know, his name has made strong. And the faith that comes through it has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Now I know, brothers, that you acted out of ignorance, just as your leaders did. But God has thus brought to fulfillment what he had announced beforehand through the mouth of all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be wiped away, and that the Lord may grant you times of refreshment and send you the Messiah already appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive into the times of universal restoration of which God spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old. For Moses said, A prophet like me will the Lord your God raise up for you. From among your own kinsmen, to him you shall listen and all that he may say to you. Everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be cut off from the people. Moreover, all the prophets who spoke from Samuel and those afterwards also announced that these days you are the children of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors. When he said to Abraham, In your offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first God raised up his servant, and sent him to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. First, this portico, right? It was a meeting place for early Christians. In Peter's address here, it affirmed that their power to heal was from God, like through the invocation of um, the name of Jesus, right? So he called upon the people to acknowledge Jesus as the promised Messiah, right? That's what we're reading here. Whose life, death, and resurrection is fulfilled from the prophecies, right? Now, Peter used the same construction, um, of course, by who God identified himself to Moses in the burning bush. Remember that? Exodus, right? Chapter 3. And we see um, this verse. It says, Holy and Righteous One. Right? This is Christ. We know this. Evidenced by his works. And then the murderer. Right? We read about that. That's Barabbas. Right? I mean, he was released instead of Christ by Pilate. Then... The author of life, right? That is Christ and his nature, his divine nature. Um, he's the creator of the universe, right? The source of eternal life for all of us, for humanity. And we see that uh, to affirm that Christ was raised from the dead, it means that at death, his body and soul were separated and his soul went to the boat of the dead. And we also went over this yesterday, right? And so, and again, also referring 
as the bosom of Abraham. And so we proclaim this in the Apostles' Creed. We also went over this yesterday. He descended into hell, right? And he was there to liberate and usher into heaven all the righteous men and women of the old covenant, right? They awaited the redemption. And we see these verses 17 and 18 now brethren i know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers right you acted in ignorance so those who rejected and crucified christ right they not only done if they would not have done that right if they just understood who he really was and so this statement it resonates with christ's words from the cross remember this Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? And so we see that oh, we can distinguish between invincible ignorance, in which one is willfully ignorant, right, and does not take um, the measures to know the truth, and then invincible ignorance, right, and one who it's not possible to know a particular truth, right? And so when invincible ignorance, it renders us inculpable for sin right there's always a degree of sin whether it's small or great um and when the ignorance is invincible so these members of the sanhedrin right who conspired to put christ to death exhibit a mixture of both right of ignorance and stubbornness but god of course he ultimately accomplished his plan uh, even in the midst of our sins right all of these um things that were going on he was able to of course um, accomplish that plan and we see that this happened so that your sins may be blotted out as 19 and 21 tells us of course then we can draw this into an invitation um to baptism right the waters of baptism so that our sins may be forgiven and again, we see these messianic prophecies of Moses, right? Deuteronomy. I uh, remember this from chapter 18. So it cautioned Israel to watch for a great prophet, right? Bearing the word of God. Um, of course, who would hold the key to salvation. So this is the prophet, right? Many of the Jews had in mind when they asked whether John the Baptist or Christ were the prophet. Remember that. So Peter had previously acknowledged Christ's divinity, right? And identified him as the prophet, and not merely a human messenger, right? But the presence of God himself. So we continue to see this as the apostles are working with the Holy Spirit in them. Um, as we saw what just happened from Acts. Right? And they continue these works of Christ as Christ instructed them um, here proclaiming the truth, right? the gospel truth uh, that Christ is Messiah. Right? And he has come um, to save all of us from our sins.